Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Ridge Church. It is so good that you're joining us online, and I just want to welcome you here. If you don't know me, my name is Dan. I'm a pastor of youth and young adults at Ridge Church, and we're excited that you're joining us online. Uh, even as we've transitioned back to in-person services, it's still great to be able for you to connect, whether you just can't make it for a weekend or whether you're still being cautious around COVID stuff, which is all Good, but I gotta be honest, for me, it's been profoundly emotional to be back in our services over the last couple of weeks, to be back in what feels actually quite normal in regards to a church service. I remember our first week back with just a couple weeks ago, um, it was crazy how quickly it felt normal. And what I often do is I end up standing in the lobby just making sure, um, does anyone need help? Does anyone need assistance? Does anyone look confused? And as I was standing there, I was getting a little bit emotional seeing you know hundreds of people pouring in into the auditorium to worship together. And I noticed people kept popping up with tears in their eyes because in that moment, they, they just needed a minute because the emotions that they'd been carrying over the course of the last year and a half were very real. And they were coming out maybe for the first time as they were excited and joyful or maybe it was the release of the emotions of the pain that's been experienced over the last year and a half. Whatever it was, though, it was really beautiful to see people express their emotions. Why? Because you and I have emotions, right? Whether we like to admit it or not, you and I have emotions. We have feelings, we have moods, we have desires and hopes and dreams, and we have fears and insecurities as well. But what we're going to see today as we carry on in our series in the book of Philippians called Imitate, is that while emotions seem to be getting all the headlines in our culture, the reality of our emotions is not something that is foreign to Paul or the biblical authors or even Jesus himself. And last week, Pastor Jonathan walked us through Paul's challenge to the church about how they ought to deal with conflict, right? How do you engage hard things? How do you have hard conversations? How do you hold tensions but not be rude to each other? And not that just conflict happens out there, but the very real conflict that happens within our church, in our community groups, in our Bible studies, in our prayer ministries, over coffee with friends. And conflict is hard, right? Conflict is hard because it creates something. It creates emotions. But the reality is that just about every single thing we experience draws up some kind of emotion. Every single thing, whether it's excitement about um, something that's going on in your work or world, whether it's nervousness about a hard conversation that you're headed into, whether it's anger at someone who's hurt you or wronged you or slighted you, everything we experience in our life tends to draw up some form of emotion. But especially in conflict, but across the board, emotions get stirred up. And so Paul, as he carries on in this letter, is going to hop into what he says is the proper response, not just to conflict, as he's discussed, but in every situation. So here's what he writes. If you want to join us, we're in Philippians chapter four. We're going to start in verse four today. Here's what it says. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul writes. Rejo again, I will say rejoice. Now, yet again, we've talked about this countless times over the last number of months. Paul is just harping on this idea. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. If you're struggling, rejoice. If you're hurt, rejoice. If you're in a tough spot, rejoice. If things are going great, rejoice. If you are seeing answered prayer, rejoice. If things are confusing, rejoice. Again and again and again. And maybe you're getting irritated with this command. Right? This is the third time Paul's using the word twice in the same sentence and the 19th time he's using it over the course of this book. But what we need to understand is that Paul's command to joy here 
is not some nagging, annoying, irritable thing that he's trying to get in our heads by just nagging us with it, but rather it is the battle cry of a Christian. It is the battle cry of those of us who follow Jesus in a broken world. See, what Paul is going to show us here is that regardless of the situation, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of what you are going through, joy in the Lord is not a possibility, it is a promise. Joy in the Lord is not a possibility. It's not an ideal. It's not something that might be nice. It's not just a cool thought. It is a promise that the book of Philippians tells us about. But since we're talking about emotions, let's be honest. Joy doesn't feel like the only emotion we feel, does it? I have lots of emotions. Very few of them are joy. I got a list one time from my counselor that's really helpful. It's got a list of all these emotions to help identify, okay, what am I feeling right now, right? But here's the thing about that list, like 80% of them are negative. It's like there's one little column that's like happy, good, satisfied, excited. The rest is like bad, depressed, discouraged, worried, whatever. All these emotions just feel so negative and that's what it feels like in the world today, doesn't it? Most of our emotions feel discouraging, upsetting. And so most of us have one of two responses to emotion. Firstly, some of us treat emotions like they're nothing. Like there's something to be avoided for many of us and more often, but not always, but in particular, I would say this applies to men. Emotions have been viewed as a problem to be solved or a fatal flaw to be corrected. Whether it's through the environment that you grew up in or an experience that has shaped you, we sense that emotions are coming and alarm bells go off. Don't tear up. Don't get emotional. Don't let anyone see that you're not doing okay right now whether it's a father, whether it's a boss, whether it's a bully, whether it's just a friend who meant well but said the wrong thing, we feel the weight of words like suck it up, get over it, don't be a baby. We hear those words ring out and so we avoid our emotions at all costs. Don't feel that, get rid of that, don't cry. Don't be upset. Don't let this hurt your feelings. We bottle our emotions up and we set them aside and hope that they'll just disappear. We spend our lives avoiding the emotions that we feel. But for some of us, we treat emotions like they're everything. We treat them like they're absolutely everything. For others, you've learned that emotions are so powerful, they can't be avoided. And in fact, they control every decision that you make. They will dictate your every move. Maybe you learned in your family, that the only way that you'd ever be heard was to yell or scream. That the only way that you'd be taken seriously is if you raised your voice and got angry and showed how emotional that you were, or maybe the only time someone really cared about you is when you were weeping. And so you have given in to say, whatever emotion I feel, that is just what reality is. And so we get ourselves convinced, we let our emotions take over and they spiral, right? We get really angry about how angry we are. We feel sad about how sad we are. The other day, I felt irritable about how irritable I was. Oh, I'm so grumpy today. Why am I so grumpy? And I got myself more and more grumpy the more I thought about it. Maybe you can see yourself much more on one of those two sides. Or maybe you're like me and it can be a coin flip. And depending on how you woke up this morning, either of those could be true of you. But Paul doesn't avoid the reality of emotions. Paul doesn't treat emotions as nothing, but he also doesn't treat them as everything. He acknowledges them as reality. So here's what he writes to the Philippian church. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
Now, different translations have different words there, but the kind of proper translation would be your gentleness. Let your gentleness, let your humility, let your ability to relationally connect with others with kindness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. See, as Christians, Paul is telling us that though our emotions are very real, they are not what defines us. Our emotions are real, but they are not what defines us. Christian, you are not your heartbreak. You are not your anger management issues. You are not your fears or your insecurities. Those things do not define you. You are a beloved child of God adopted by what Jesus has done on the cross into God's family. And you are being changed day by day by what the Holy Spirit is doing in you, degree by degree of glory. And so Paul, understanding all these realities, understanding what emotions are, we've seen that through the Philippian letter, right? He's talking about, I I don't know what's going on and I feel a little nervous about this and, and all these kind of things. He's real about his emotions, but he says the most true thing about us is our identity as sons and daughters of the king carries on. And he writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything. What? (laughs) Like, are you serious, Paul? Do not be anxious about anything. I remember when Jaleesa and I were dating, the, there's this like classic song, right? The Don't Worry, Be Happy. And it's like the do, 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 do. I'm not a singer. Ask Pastor Seth if you want a singer. Um, and it's this song and it's this, you know, quippy little song. Don't worry, be happy. I, I think there's even a line in there about like, yeah, you're getting sued because you didn't pay your rent, but don't worry, be happy. Um, and it's this really, you know, not helpful song. And when Jaleesa and I were dating, I would sometimes whistle that song whenever she was sharing about something that she was stressed about. Believe it or not, she didn't find it extremely helpful. In fact, it was more discouraging to be given some platitude, some random phrase, don't worry, be happy, because it didn't actually acknowledge the pain and the hurt of the emotions that she was feeling. And Paul is not saying that. He's not saying, don't worry, be happy. It's all good. It doesn't matter. Your emotions don't matter. No, because even though Paul is not writing from a beach in Maui, he's not writing from a nice coffee shop in downtown Vancouver with a pour over and a croissant, he's writing from a prison cell. He's acknowledging the reality of emotions. He isn't giving us some vague statement to tell us to just get over it, to make emotions nothing. I want to show you a piece of art from an artist I really appreciate that I follow on Instagram. He goes by at sword and pencil. And if you can see on the screen here, it's this pill bottle. It says platitudes, as in, you know, vague generalities, pithy little statements, little Bible verses that we throw on a coffee mug or wall art, and it's pills. And then the bottom line says, take two verses and call me in the morning. See, it's this ironic play on what we sometimes do as Christians. See, for some reason, we have settled for looking at people, looking at ourselves, looking at those around us in our communities, in their pain and in their suffering, and we have decided that whatever emotion they are feeling is just a problem that needs to be covered up. It's just an issue that needs to be gotten over. And if we can just pop our Bible pills, we'll be fine. Just take a biblical Advil and get over it. And so we shrink down the human experience to nothing more than a don't be anxious about anything. 
which oftentimes really means just get over it. Just be okay. Just suck it up. We shrink down the human experience, but here's the reality. We don't need a band-aid. We need a surgeon. Here's the reality. As my counsel reminds me often, emotions are not a problem to be fixed, okay? Emotions are not a problem to be fixed. They are a feeling to be processed. My friends, Ridge Church, anyone who's watching this, I really want you to hear me clearly when I say this. Whether you struggle with anxiety or you know people who struggle with anxiety, you love someone who struggles with anxiety, you walk alongside someone who struggles with anxiety, what I want you to hear today is this. Anxiety is not a sin. Anxiety is not a sin. Your emotions are not sins. What's causing your anxiety may be sinful, And what you do in response to your anxiety may be sinful, but your anxiety in and of itself is not a sin. But what happens is we read this verse and we say, well, Paul says it, do not be anxious. So I got to suck it up and get over it and just be okay. We buy into the false assumption that the goal, when we experience negative thoughts, negative emotions as we consider them, sadness, fear, insecurity, anxiousness, is to get rid of them as fast as possible. Get rid of them. But see, the reality is that emotions themselves are not sin. That's why Paul says, be angry, emotion, and do not sin, action. Right? We even see this in Jesus himself, who we believe is fully divine in his nature, the true king of the universe. But in his life, we see Jesus go through the full range of human emotion. We see him weep. We see him laugh. We see him celebrate. But especially in his final hours, if you go and read in the Gospels the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see all the emotional beats of that story. We see Jesus heartbroken when he asks his friends to pray with him and they fall asleep. We see the sadness on his heart where he says, couldn't you stay awake? Couldn't you stay awake with me? We see him stressed out. So stressed out about the death and pain that he knew was coming, that he literally sweats blood. We see Jesus, our Savior, experience fear at what was to come, where he looks at God the Father and he says, Father, if this cup can pass from me, if there's another way, let it be so. Like, I'm all in to save the people I love, but if there's a different way, if there's another option, if there's another plan, let's do that. But not my will, but yours be done. We see that though Jesus was without sin, Jesus was not without emotion. What we see in Jesus himself is an acknowledgement of the reality of his emotion without a submission to it as his ultimate reality. Emotions are not nothing, but emotions are not everything. And that's what Paul is getting at in these verses. Not pithy statements, but a deeply truthful response to what emotions are being felt. It's not about running away from our anxiety. It's not about running away from our emotions. It's not about running away whenever we feel a little bit of sadness. It's about leaning into the God who has the power to do something about it. Let me read those verses one more time. Starting in verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the 
peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, what Paul is saying here is that the proper, proper response, rather, to worry, to anxiety, to fear is not running away from it. And deep down we know that, don't we? Sure, that credit card bill stresses you out, but it doesn't change reality to put it through a paper shredder. That hard conversation you know you need to have with your spouse that you've been putting off, you can ignore it as much as you want, but you know that tension is there. You know that hurt is there. You know that healing needs to take place. The text message or email that you've been avoiding because you don't want to have to deal with that conflict, it does not change the longer you avoid that email or that text message. Anxiety and worry is a problem of the heart. And Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, we can either listen to our heart or we can talk to our heart. Here's what that looks like in the book of Psalms where we see the full range of human emotion. It's a little long, but I want to read for you Psalm 42. Here's what it says. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him day and night? I have only tears for my food while my enemies taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. As I walked among crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession in the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. But now I am deeply discouraged. But I will remember you even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to the God who gives me life. Oh God, my rock, I cry. Why? Have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in my grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones and they scoff at me saying, where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? But I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my savior and my God. See, what is the psalmist doing there? What is he doing in that beyond the beautiful poetry and picture of God's love and unfailing kindness of that is? He's talking to himself. He's not hiding his emotions. He's feeling them. He's allowing the pain and the hurt and the discouragement and the fear to, to be there as reality. But he's not hiding them, but he's also not exploding. He's not having a tantrum. He's not blaming other people. Rather, he's bringing the full weight of what he is going through and laying it down before God. The final verse again. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed in me? These are the feelings that I'm having. I'm disturbed. I'm downcast. I'm not okay. And then what does he do? He talks. Not even to God, not to the people around him, but to himself. Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, it is in the intimacy of prayer that we bring all that we are, not just flesh and bones, but our emotions and our souls before God and trust the promise of the gospel. Here's the promise of the reality of who God is and how much he loves you today. First Peter 5 verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. 
My friend, you need to hear this one truth today. God cares about you. God cares about you. He cares about you. He has invited you into a relationship with him through what Jesus has done for you. In his life, death on a cross, and resurrection, he has made it possible for you to experience the fullness of life through the power of the Holy Spirit to know that God cares about you. That's what we sing about here week after week. In person this week, we have baptisms happening where people are celebrating their first true experience where they've committed their life to Jesus. That's what we celebrate when we take communion. That's what we care about at Ridge Church. And we take this truth. We take this big, beautiful truth that the God of the universe cares about us and we reduce it down to a cliche to tell people to get over it. When was the last time you felt that? in your heart, in your guts, that God cares about you. That God cares about you. Because that's what we need. That's what's going to shape our lives and our emotions. It's not ignoring them, and it's not giving in to them. It's bringing them to our God. While it's easy for me to say that, you might be wondering, well, that's hard. (laughs) That's difficult. How are you supposed to do that? Why is this so challenging? Why is it so impossible? Well, I think it's because we miss the connection between our heart and our head. Here's what Paul says. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard what? Your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. See, there is a connection between what we think about and what we feel. We are holistic, not compartmentalized beings. You are not just a brain on a stick. You are not just a body with a consciousness. You are not just a soul trapped in a body. You are a holistic human being created in the image of God. That's why Jesus, when he's talking about what we ought to do as human beings says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is not 33.3%, It is 100%. We are holistic beings. And this isn't just the Bible. This is basic science. We have brains, Right? They're very complicated and I understand very little about them. But what I do understand is that our brains develop patterns. Scientists call these neural pathways. And over time, neural pathways develop, which give us patterns and assumptions about how we interact with the world. And, And those patterns are for better or for worse, for good or for bad, right? Very neutral things. Like when I wake up in the morning, I always go turn on the kettle to make some coffee. I just know that that's part of my rhythm. I don't even think about it. I turn on the kettle and boil water. But they can also be for L, right? We can have neural pathways, and you probably have some yourself, as we all do, that lead you to view and operate in the world in unhealthy ways. Maybe you had a bad experience with a boss. So every time you get called into your boss's office or called by someone you work with, your neural pathway says something's wrong. I'm in trouble. I'm about to get yelled at. Maybe you had a tough experience where someone betrayed you and let you down. And anytime there's any sense of conflict or tension between you and your spouse, you start to doubt the whole relationship. Are they going to leave me? I don't know what's going to happen. The neural pathway says they're just going to abandon me. We have these patterns in our mind. But these habits are also affected by what scientists call neuroplasticity. And that's a big word, but what it really means is that your brain is not concrete. It is not cement. 
It is not so set in its ways that it cannot be changed, that it cannot be transformed, that slowly but surely we can be transformed. See what followers of Jesus have called this for 2,000 years? Sanctification or spiritual growth, the process by which the Holy Spirit creates in us the image of Jesus more and more, degree by degree of glory. Here's how Paul describes it in his letter to the church in Rome, Romans 12 two. Do not be conformed to the way of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is perfect, what is acceptable. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, the reality is that those neural pathways, your ways of thinking can be changed. The habits you have that affect how you view the world, that affect how you feel, can shift, can change. Not in one moment, not in five minutes, not in one sermon or one magical Sunday, but rather through day-by-day faithfulness to Jesus. Here's where Paul encourages the Philippians to put their minds in order to have their hearts and minds guarded by Christ. Verse 8 of Philippians 4. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What a list. That collection, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. We could take a ton of time to unpack each one of those and what they mean and what Paul means by them. But for the sake of time, what's important to see here is that Paul is saying that the way by which we experience a peace that guards the heart and mind is to think about what goes through our head. To think about what we allow into our thoughts, because here's the reality. What you think about will shape who you become. So here's the question. What fills your mind? What do you think about? In the hours and minutes and seconds of your day, what is your mind filled with? Is it filled with truth? Or are you allowing it to be filled with lies about yourself and others? They did this. They're not good. I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. Is it filled with what's honorable or is it filled with bitterness and anger and jealousy and gossip? Is it filled with purity or is it filled with lust? Not just through the actions of what you look at on the internet and then delete your browser history, but in jealousy when you look at another person's car, another person's house, another person's bank statement. Is it filled with what's lovely, what's excellent, what's beautiful or is it filled Something else. Earlier, we talked about how joy is the battle cry of a Christian. And you know what that means? You're in a battle. You are in a battle, Christian. That is the reality. And it is a battle that is fought for the soul. But more often than we realize, the battleground is not just the world we live in, but it is our mind. Here is how Paul describes this battle that we are fighting In the book of 2 Corinthians, for although, Paul writes, we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey God. Christ, my brothers and sisters in Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit in you and by the power of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we are about the work of demolishing strongholds. 
And that is language that is often used talking about spiritual warfare um, and, and demons and those kind of things. But it's about the real ground life stuff. It is about those things, but it's about every single aspect of our lives. There are strongholds that exist in your life today that God wants to tear down. That that is our business as Christians, to tear them down. And we do that, Paul says, by thinking about what is good, what is beautiful, what is pure, what is lovely. And even Jesus describes this with his own words on anxiety on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. Let me read them for you. Verse 26. Look at the birds of the air, he says. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, be, by being anxious, can add a single hour, minute, second to his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And this is not just Jesus using an illustration to make a point. He's rather inviting us to consider beautiful things. And as C.S. Lewis writes, to allow the sunbeam to lead us up to the sun. That is how we find our hearts and minds guarded by the peace of God. As we consider what's good, what's beautiful, what's pure, we let them go up and see and experience the giver of the gift and know that he cares for us, know that he loves us, know that he gave his life for us. But we experience that in the simple beauties of every day, of the big pile of lemon balm that sits outside on my patio that I grab a handful of and smell and think, oh my goodness, what a beautiful scent. And it's just growing in the dirt a good cup of coffee after the last year and a half, a hug from someone we love. And then Paul closes in verse nine with this. What you have learned and received and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. My friends, this takes practice. Neural pathways, sinful addictions, the strongholds that exist in your life with anxiety and fear and negative thoughts, do not disappear over a 30-minute sermon. There are no magical words that I or Jonathan or anyone else can say that are going to make all those things disappear in a heartbeat, but through practices, through the spiritual disciplines of meditating on the Word of God, through experiencing communion with Jesus in prayer, through practicing disciplines like confession, and Sabbath, and fasting, and all these things, we begin to change our minds. As Paul says, renew our minds through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Over years and years of faithful practice, it takes time, but that is the invitation of God. I want to close with this quote from Brother Lawrence, who was a monk who served as a cook in the monastery he lived in in the 1600s. Here's what he writes. The difficulties of our life do not have to be unbearable. It is the way that we look at them through faith or unbelief that makes them seem so. We must be convinced of this, that our Father is full of love for us. You convinced of that? Your Father is full of love for you and that he only permits trials to come our way for our own good. Let us occupy ourselves entirely in knowing God. The more we know him, the more we will desire to know him. And as love increases with knowledge, the more we know God, the more we will truly love him. Our head will lead to our heart. We will learn to love him equally in times of distress, 
or in times of great joy, that is the invitation of God to you today to experience his love through practice that you would know that you can cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that though we experience emotions that do not feel good, anxiety or fear or sadness, that you work in our lives anyway. God, that that those emotions are real, but they are not what defines us and that you meet us in the midst of those, God. We thank you that you've surrounded us with beauty. The birds, the fields, a good cup of coffee, friendship, community, all these good gifts. May we, Lord, follow up the sunbeam to you, the Son, Jesus, and celebrate the giver of the gifts that we are so grateful for. Would you help us to loosen our grip on controlling our own lives and trust you and what you're doing? God, transform our minds. Renew our minds. Do the work that only you can do and help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. We pray right now, Lord, that you would tear down strongholds, the lies that operate in people's heads, whether they've been put there by someone else, whether they're just a reality right now, we pray that you would tear down strongholds, even right now in this moment, Lord. Tear down lies. Tear down sin. Tear down addiction. Right now, in your name, Jesus, we ask. We ask, Lord, that the peace of God would rule and guard our hearts and our minds as we think about what is good and pure and beautiful and true. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Let's worship together.